Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. Hey, it's a good day. Do you know that what happened yesterday? Summer showed up. And I thought to myself, the snow on the mountains behind Pastor Scott and Sarah looks so nice. No, um, really, it's not. Um, my mom sent me a, a dreary text a couple weeks ago, and she said, son, I woke up to snow halfway down the mountains this morning, and I took a picture of the blue sky. Snap, send. Anyway, trying to get her to move to Texas. We'll see if that works. Did you know this today, that the anointing, the Holy Spirit, has the power to break every yoke of bondage? Amen? Amen. I mean, the Ninevites weren't great people, right? No, they were haters of God. They were a bunch of broken people, so much so that God was going to send Jonah to tell them. And Jonah is like, turn and repent or die. And he walks away. Good job. Well done, man. Greatest message ever preached. Like three words. Turn, repent, or die. Anyway, but uh, in in, uh, Nahum chapter 1, this is what, this is what he, the prophet says by the Holy Spirit to the nation of Nineveh. He says, and now I will break this yoke from off of you and I will burst your bonds apart. Look, man, God's really good at snapping chains and, and, chains and breaking stuff and freeing people up. Amen. Maybe you came today and you feel like you've been chained and the Lord says, I want to break those bonds today. I want to snap those chains. I want to remind you of who you are, what I've done, and what I'm doing. Like, and you know this, God doesn't doesn't bring us this far and then he's like, peace out, I'm done. He's like, no, I'm going to walk through every step of it the whole way and I'm going to make you completely brand new. Amen? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how God restores, how he brings things around and how his desire is ultimately is to to fix us. And I'm not talking like a sort of kind of half fix, men, you know what I'm talking about? Your wife asked you to fix something and you, well, I got to fix, babe. You did not. You put a Band-Aid on it. Okay. So, or like, you know, is that going to work? Yeah, for a little while longer, it'll work. No, God completely restores, amen. When he does something, he doesn't half do it. He does it all the way. And the big idea today is this, that we follow a truly good shepherd who promises to lead us and guide us and take care of us every day of our life in every season, no matter how messed up it may look like. Amen? Some of you have been through a long season and the Lord says, I want to cut those cords. I want to break those chains. I want to remind you of who you are. If you turn with me to Psalm 23, I'm going to read, verse, read a few verses out of there. That's our text in the Way of the Shepherd series. So if you're showing up today, we're in week number two. Pastor Scott preached a bomb message about what it is and what it is that we have this great shepherd who is leading us and guiding us, who is for us. And his goodness, we can't even figure it out. So Psalm 23, I'm going to read, I'm going to read verse 1 through 3. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I, shall, uh, I have all I need. He, he lets me rest in green meadows, or some of your versions will say, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. 
He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Amen? I mean, he's a really, really good shepherd. Anybody ever experienced that good leading? He may ever make you lie down in green pastures when you get too busy and can't figure it out? Yeah, sometimes I think he's like, and by the way, just stay in that green pasture for a minute. And he puts you there and you're like, I want out. He's like, no, feed, rest, chill, enjoy my presence. I'm going to take care of you here in these moments. I want to I wanna bring you to a place of rest and a place of safety and a place of restoration if you'll allow me to. I mean, God has been in the restoration business since Genesis, right? They had it perfectly laid out. Everything was golden and good and lovely. They had one thing they weren't supposed to do. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. Oh, but it looks so good. Don't, don't touch that tree. Everything else is fair game. You can have everything else. And they eat the fruit. What did God do? Did he tell them how bad they were? Did he mock them in their brokenness? Did he shame them or guilt them or heap condemnation, condemnation upon them? No. What did he do? He came to them in the garden as a good, loving father. And he said, Adam and Eve, where are you? Um, we're hiding in the bushes like you didn't know that. But we're over here. We really messed stuff up today, God. But they believed a lie about who they were, right? And so they were ashamed. And God said, hey, come here. Let me fix you, Adam and Eve. Even though you royally messed it up today, it doesn't change my character. It doesn't change my desire to want to bring you back to brand new. I mean, God is constantly in, in, in this Bible restoring and putting back together the broken stuff. He wants to make us more into his image. He wants to create some Charlies, right? Where people look and go, man, their life looks pretty amazing. I want to see what goes on there. And then they hear your story, right? Because why are we overcomers? Why, are, why have we been restored? We're overcomers by the finished work on this cross, right? And then by the word and the power of your story, of your testimony, of the thing God did in you that changed you forever. I was a complete wreck, man. I remember coming to the altar that day saying, God, if you can still do something with me, here I am. Change me, please. My life is, my life is empty and horrible. And he was like, cool. I'm going to do something in you. Just seek me. Come after me. Let, let me do it, right? I couldn't fix myself. Can I get an Amen. You can't fix you, but he can. And he desires to not just prop you up, but to make you brand new. Anybody still needing restoration today? Maybe you came hoping to bring something to this altar to just leave it for him to fix and take care of, right? Lord, this thing is chained to me. I, I want you to cut these cords, I, I think. I think I do. I know you're good. You're a good shepherd, and I want you to lead me out of the place I'm stuck. Sometimes we get hung up in the Exodus, though. When I was about 10 years old, and I actually I think I was thinking this morning, somewhere between 8 and 10, um, I was outside of a hot rod shop where my dad was working part-time. Uh, he was full-time in the military, but he had made a friendship with a guy who was a, uh, a brilliant hot rod guy, engine guy, and he restored cars. And out behind the shop one day, I wandered through, and we had started restoring a 1956 Chevy, and um, I 
being a young kid and, a, and my dad being, uh, me being his only kid, I'm like, I don't want that one. I want a 55 instead. He's like, I'm halfway done with this car, boy. Um, I'm like, Dad, but that 55, Randall has one outside his shop in the back. And on top of two barrels out inside in the back of the shop was this 55 Chevy. And I'm like, Dad, I want that one. And I saw this look of horror come over my dad's face. And he's like, that thing's a piece of junk. I mean, it had, it's up on barrels. It looked like kids had just been shooting shotgun shells at it all day long. The body was a complete wreck, and I see my dad looking around it, and he's like, oh my gosh, is there anything worth saving on this car? But it had good bones, right? There was some good stuff underneath that wrecked sheet metal that something saw. It was a long process. It, it took us about 12 years from start to finish, but we were going to bring that car out of its, out of its Egypt back into some, something looking good, something great something beautiful. It didn't look like it on the surface, but man, when we got done, that thing was great. That's what God does with us. He doesn't look out here, right? Because some of us may look like a rusted out Chevy on barrels full of bullet holes, and God's like, I see something beautiful. Right? <laughs> I couldn't find the picture I would have showed you. It was atrocious. But we look like that in our lives, and then we're like, God, I, I don't know if you want me to get close. He's like, no, I want you. I want you just like that. Because when I do something, when I breathe new life, when my anointing breaks the yoke of bondage, freedom comes. And man, your life's going to be beauty when I'm done with it. 1 Peter 5.10 says this, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by the means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. That's what God does, right? He's like, I see you over here, but I don't see you as you are and as you see yourself. I see you over here. I see you awesome. I see you restored and revived. Will you let me rescue you? Will you let me bring you out of that place? And then we get stuck sometimes on this too. Well, God, when I get it all together, then I'll come to you. And he's like, no, that's not how I work. Plus, I know in my own story, too, I, I had arrived at a place where I had tried to fix me. I had tried to do good enough or what I thought looked right in my own mind and my, you know, wanderings away from Jesus. And I was a horrible fixer, man. I could not get my stuff together, period. And life was broken. I actually wondered if it was even worth it, Right? So when we try, try really, 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 really hard to get in God's graces, he's like, just don't try so hard. Just come here. Let me, let me love you. Let me fix you. I'm the best resto man on the face of the planet. And if you allow me the, uh, the opportunity, the access to your life, I'll do it. And I'll do it way better than you ever could hope that it could be done. I'm going to read this song lyric because this is what I think, I think about when we try to do it in our own humanity is this. When you try your best, but you don't succeed. Anybody ever been there? When you get what you want, but not what you need. You're like, oh man, I got that thing, but it doesn't fill the God-sized hole in your life. When you feel so tired, but you can't sleep. You feel like you're stuck in reverse, right? Every time you make a move forward, it feels like you're in this back eddy. But that's your human effort, and your human effort don't, doesn't work. We need God-sized stuff to happen in our lives. 
There's some great pictures of biblical re- restor- restoration, right? And here's, the, here's, a, here's a biblical definition of what it is to restore something. It's to receive back more than has been lost to the point where the final state is greater than the original condition. The original condition of my 55 Chevy should have been scrap metal. But my dad saw beyond the surface. He saw into the deep parts of that car and he said, yeah, we're going to make something beautiful out of that. But it takes time and it takes a submission of our own will to go, God, I, I can't do it and I do want it better. The main point about restoration is something is better and it's improved beyond measure from what its original state was. What about Job? He lost it all, right? Did Job have some struggles? Yes, he did. But when we read the end of Job's story after he endures mass crazy stuff and still stays connected to God, God, I'm not sure how or why you're working this all out, but I know you're doing it for my good. The Bible tells us that the second half of Job's life was blessed far beyond the first, and he was a blessed man at the beginning of his life. But the later state of Job's life was better than the beginning. So where do you need to be rescued from? Where do you need to be revived? Where do you need to ask God, hey, make me lie down in green pastures. I need to, I need to remind myself of who you are. I need to be reminded of who you are and how good you are and the things you can do because we serve a supernatural miracle working God. Amen? We really do. And uh, it's, it's kind of like, hey, I want you to come here and then I'm going to make you righteous. And some of you are like, no. Yeah, that's his promise. He said, I'm going to make you righteous. I'm going to make you like me. I want you in right relationship with me. So the outflow, the reflection of your life shows people who I am in you and through you. And it's not just for us, right? Why does God restore you? Just so you look awesome, Joe? No. He does something deep in here and when we connect with him and we realize what he's doing in us, we can't help but go and share about what he's doing in here, right? I was thinking back this week when I got saved and we were talking a little bit in staff meeting and I got saved and just, I was on fire and my wife was like, oh no, I'm about to marry my dad, please come back to me. Um, But God radically changed my life, man. And I would be like, dude, cool man, Jesus is doing something in me, do you not wanna go to hell? It was a really bad pitch at the beginning, right? I mean, but that's what I did. I'd be like, awesome. Like, I just got saved yesterday, and this thing says that if you don't repent, you're going to die. Do you want to know Jesus? It was a really bad, bad sales pitch. But what I was operating out of is a changed life. He had done something in me, and I couldn't help but just tell people about it, right? Now, the Lord is really good, and he helped me refine my message so it wasn't so harsh. Because I think we always skip that in this piece where not only have we been reconciled to a righteous relationship with God, but he desires to bring people to himself through your life. HCF, everyone sitting in here, be a disciple, make a disciple, right? That's the Great Commission. It's, it's pretty simple. And then we go and tell somebody about it. He wants to do something so deep in us that we're just not restored, but we have this ministry of reconciliation that God wants to ebb in through our lives. And we're like, hey man, could I, could I share something good with you? I met with two young men last week, lost, wrestling through some stuff, seeking some truth. But man, we had a great opportunity to talk about Jesus 
to talk about the goodness of God, to talk about faith. And it, it was a great opportunity. I'm looking forward to more conversations with those, with those young guys. They're super stellar young men. But this is what 2 Corinthians 5.18 says. It's not just for us he restores us. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Hey, could I tell you about Jesus? Hey, could I buy you a cup of coffee? Hey, could, could I share something out of here that's really, really good? There's this really good shepherd. He gives you rest. It says that he'll cause you to walk by still waters. He'll refresh and renew and revive you. Because James tells us this, we have to have right action too, right? It's not just, okay, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm waiting. It is, I'm saved, now I'm going to go tell somebody about my faith. Now I'm going to lay my hands to the plow. It's not a works mentality, don't hear me wrong, but it is, it's a fact of I've been changed and I can't help but do something about it. Jesus, you're bubbling and welling up in me so much. Holy Spirit, you're leading and guiding me in righteous relationship with God. And you're having me speak the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere I go. Right relationship, right reflection, and then right action. Because you're a new creation. Did you know that? Whoa, nobody knows. You're a new creation. Thank you, I see that hand. You're a new creation. You're not just a cleaned up, propped up version of yourself. God doesn't go, well, I think you're good enough and kind of broom you off and be like, eh, okay, you might reflect me. No, you're a brand new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17, let's look at that because he doesn't half do stuff, amen? He does it all the way. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. You're not just a propped up version of yourself. You're not just a better version of Jeremy 2.0. It's Jesus in me 5.0 and look out because I'm coming to tell you about it. I'm going to live my life changed. I'm going to live my life new because not only am I experiencing this freedom, this revival within me, this restoration for the rescue of souls to come into the kingdom of God. Here's what verse 18 and beyond says. All of this is a gift from God. Amen. All this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. God is not counting your sin against you, amen? You're brand new. He took all that stuff, crushed it up, and went for the wastebasket. It's done deal, amen? You are not just a better version of you. You're transformed. You're restored. You're brand spanking new, amen? You really are. You're not a horrible rank sinner anymore. You're righteous because God said so, not because I said so, right? He says, you're righteous. You're pretty awesome. I like you. I want to be near you. I want to make you more like me. But it is a process, though. It isn't just automatic, right? 
there's a process. Paul tells us it's going to take us our whole lives to be shaped and molded this, this sanctification thing. Did anybody love that word? But it's a process that God takes us through. He's making us more like Jesus, even like Pastor Scott said last week, moment by moment, minute by minute, making us more into the image of Jesus as we pursue him. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah is uh, pretty tired. He just had a battle, an epic battle. It's probably one of my favorite Bible stories. I, I stood on the top of Mount Carmel where this actually happened in Israel. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm here. I mean, he has an epic battle with 450 pro prophets of Baal versus Elijah, right? It would have been the worst UFC billing on the face of the planet, 450 guys versus one dude. But it was one dude restored and changed by the power of God. One man who understood what it was to be in right relationship, righteous relationship with God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do a great thing that would point to God. So anyways, he slays these 450 prophets of Baal, kills them all. I'm not sure what that looks like. It sounds pretty gross. He deals with the sin over here, and then he comes over here, and he's exhausted, man. He's tired. He's tired, and he's like, God, I'm, I'm so tired. This is what, what a God who restores does, though. He just doesn't, again, doesn't take you just a piece of the way. He takes you all the way to the end. So he's tired, and it says this in 1 Kings. He said he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Verse 5 says, then he lay down under a broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him, and he said, hey, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. How cool. The God of heaven says, hey, you're worth my time. Get up and eat. Look here. Don't let your focus get off me, but I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to revive you in these moments, Elijah. So he got up and he ate and drank the food. And then it says, so he got up and he ate and drank the food and gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Then he came to a cave and he spent the night there. God just doesn't do stuff through your life and then leave you high and dry. He restores you, he sets you on mission and then he sustains you through the mission, right? He walks with you through the restoration process. You're not alone in this battle. Some of you need to hear that today. This is not just your battle. This is a great place to call home. Amen? This is, a, this is a great church to be a part of. It's a great community to be a part of. And he's making us more like Jesus day by day, minute by minute, as we just continue to say, I want you to, want you to rescue me. I want you to revive me. I want you to restore me. God, do something in me that is so deep and so profound that when people see me, when they look at me, they see you. Not, not this face, but Jesus, I want them to see you through my life. Scott touched on a little bit last week, but Peter is one of the greatest restorations we see in the Bible. You have this guy who is an epic success and an epic failure every time he turns around. But God didn't leave him, right? God didn't go, Peter, I'm so done with you. He said, Peter, I so love you and so want to be with you. Peter, I, I so want to sustain you in this moment and bring you to a place of rest that I'm going to come to a beach where you're fishing and I'm going to, I'm going to cook food right here on the spit for you. And then I'm going to invite you to come back to me. I'm going to invite you 
back into this relationship because I love you, Peter. And on you, I'm going to found and I'm going to establish this church. So he restores Peter, right? Once, twice, three times he comes. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you. Good, go feed my sheep. Love my lambs, Peter. Feed my sheep. Go. Tell people about me. And Peter gets restored, man. I mean, can you imagine the epic feeling of failure that Peter had? Lord, I just denied you three times and I said I wouldn't. I, I don't even think, I don't deserve it. And God's like, yeah, you do because I pick you. I pick you and I pick you and I choose you. I choose you in your mess and I bring you out of it because I get glory. And then I get to see my glory live in you and through your life in such a deep way. Because there's people out there that need to hear your story. There's people out there that need to know that there's hope in the utmost things where you feel like failure has happened. I'm done. There's, there's no resto on this, God. I don't even know how you're going to do it. But that's the promise of God. Amen. I'm really good at fixing broken stuff. He lets me rest in green meadows. Picture that for a second. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He washes and his spirit renews and refreshes. I mean, just picture that for a minute. Picture in your mind's eye, just the best meadow you've ever hung out with. Hung out with, you hanging out with meadows. Hung out in, hanging out with meadows. Mess up every time I speak. But in that green meadow where the water is just running by, where he's going to feed you just like Elijah, where he's going to sustain you, where he's going to tell you who you are, where the lies and the trash that the enemy breathes on your life fall away, where those cords are cut, where those yokes of bondage are absolutely broken off of your life, where you no longer believe a lie, but you begin to go, I think that's truth. God, you are truth. I'm going to read you a story. Can I do that? Be like stories? All right. It's a great story. There once lived a beautiful princess, adored by her family and friends, but especially by the king. The king loved this princess. They were inseparable. But one day, the king gave this princess a gift. My princess, I give you the gift of my identity. Remember, he sees us different than we see ourselves. Around her neck, he hung a beautiful jewel. Throughout her life, bits and pieces of her necklace were smudged, broken, and stolen. Soon she was left with nothing but a string and the memory of what was once there. She searched desperately for something to replace, replace it, the thing she had lost. And from her neck, she hung something she thought she could take, the place of what the king had given her in her brokenness. This thing that she chose was a homosexual relationship. That was her identity that she thought would fix her brokenness. She placed this around her neck and assumed it as her identity. Years later, consumed by grief and emptiness, the weight of her identity was too much for the princess to carry. 
She felt like she could no longer go on. She longed for the king, missed him, and regretted ever running so far from him. Anybody ever been there? My king, she cried, I don't know if you still love me after everything I've done. Man, but if you do, take this identity from me. I can't carry it any longer. Almost instantly, she felt the string from around her neck be lifted. The shattered pieces of her false identity vanishing into the dust. She felt his touch. Amen. Remember, the anointing has the power to break the chains of bondage. She felt his touch as the king lifted her off her knees. She replaced, he replaced her rags with a lavish gown. He put a ring on her finger and a crown adorned with beautiful jewels on her head. And he, God, spoke. My beautiful princess, this is who I have made you to be. Who you will always be in me. Amen? Insert your story there. It doesn't matter what the story is. We, we take on false identity all the time. But that's not the outcome God is looking for, right? The outcome is the restoration that he's hoping for. The outcome is the finished product of a life changed by a living, loving God. I have a picture for you. This is a 12-year, maybe? Oh, there it is. Yeah. That, that's 12 years of labor. 12 years of hard-earned stuff. It was worth it, though. I remember one time with a piece of sandpaper on a pencil in the roof gutters across the top of that thing as like a 10-year-old. Sanding, hating my life, sanding on a wire wheel with every, I touched every nut and bolt on that car over the course of 12 years. Well, my dad probably touched more than I did, but I mean, I'd go there in the summer and the fall and we'd work on that car and I would clean those bolts up, but I would take those bolts and when I was done, they looked brand new. There was good bones. That car was worth it at the end of the day, but it took time. But the outcome of that was that beautiful red car that now sits in my garage that I've had since I was 21. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful gift from my father. This gift of restoration that God gives is way better than a car. Amen. A changed life, there is no better. And um, I want to, for a few minutes, I, wanna, I want you to see, why are we overcomers again? We're overcomers by what? Jesus' sacrifice for us, his blood, and it is the power of a transformed life. Will you come? Yes. Because here's what I want you to see. You know, life is tough sometimes, amen? But God never leaves us where we are in our muck and mire. He reaches down and he says, hey, come here. I want to do something in you. Whew, my watch keeps buzzing because my heart rate is going so fast. It thinks that I'm having a panic attack, so that's fun. Um, my dad and I wrote that story about the princess this week. It's my story. Um, it's, it's my redemption story. Um, 
it really was horrible. It was a horrible period of time, but it, it gives such glory to the Lord to be standing here today talking to you guys, leading y'all in worship of just the absolute power and love that the king has for his, his children that he is willing to reach down into the depths of the places that we have dug ourselves and redeem us and restore us. I mean, I feel like I am living, breathing proof that there is a God who loves us. And it wasn't easy. It definitely was a choice that I had to make. It was, it was either this lifestyle or it was going to be this lifestyle. And I had lived in this for years. It was something that weighed so heavily on me to the point where it was, I couldn't wake up in the morning. I had lost about 50 pounds. My hair was falling out. My teeth were falling out. It was eating me alive. And it got to the point where I just didn't want to live anymore. I remember contemplating at taking my life. Um, and I had remembered that missions conference was going to be here. And my dream my entire life was to be a missionary. It's something that I love to do. And I was like, you know what? I feel like that sounds like more fun than dying. I guess I'll just go sit in the back and just watch as all of these missionaries talk about the incredible things that they're doing. And I remember sitting in the front row with my mom, and it was the first time I had been in a church service in a really long time. And I felt like I was home for the first time in a really long time. And I remember sitting here, I was sitting in this chair right here, and I was like, gosh, like, God, I really, really miss you. Like, this is such a terrible existence, so far from you. I don't want to do this anymore. And I remember Pastor uh, Mark came up to me, and he, was, he told me, he was like, I don't know, I feel like God is wanting me to tell you this. Like, if it's off base, let me know. But God is calling you home. And I wept <laughs> for a really long time. And the next day, I packed up all of my stuff from our house, and I moved back in with my parents. And from then on, it has been a one step forward after another step forward, um, unpacking the suitcase of baggage, as I call it, in my bedroom throughout quarantine, of me and God sitting in my room, and me being like, do you still want this? Do you want do you still want this? Can you use this? And him being like, yes, I want this. I love this. Like, this is incredible. Like, you are beautiful. Like, we are going to restore this. I mean, God basically sent the identity of who I was into flames and then blew life into the dust of what was left. And now, here I am. So... I love you. Here's what I know. We serve a really good God. 
and the power, the undeniable finished product of a loving God who will come and rescue and restore us from our most broken places is powerful and undeniable, period. I always think about this story. The worship team's gonna come and we're gonna, we're gonna transition back into a time of reflection and worship. The finished product of a life changed and stayed by the very hand of God is powerful and undeniable. It points to the restoration that was paid for on the cross. Amen? Life changed. I don't deserve to stand up here at all. My life was a horrible wreck. But God said, I pick you and I've called you and I'm changing you. Will you, will you come? I just said, yes, I was done living in my brokenness and my death and my despair and my eternity that was going to be Christless if I didn't punch that, punch that ticket, if you will, and say, Jesus, I'm committed. I want to hold on to your coattails and figure out everything about you. Here I come. That Chevy cost $34,000 to restore in receipts. That doesn't include time and labor. It was expensive and it was an arduous long process. The blood of Jesus Christ was expensive. It was paid for and it is primo and it is a free gift to you today. If you are in the service and you do not know Jesus, your life was paid for at the cross and he wants to meet you today. He wants to say, hey, I love you. I came for you. I died for you. I want to spend forever with you. Will you come? If you're in this service today and you want to come and just say yes to Jesus as we enter back into worship, will you just come? Come find me. I'll be right down here. If you want to pray and receive Jesus as Savior, all you got to do is go, God, I love you. I need you. I am broken. Will you meet me in my mess? And he'll absolutely come. The altar team will be down here after service. Come and pray with one of them. Will you stand with me? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You are absolutely worth it. Everyone in this place who hears my voice, you are worth it. You are loved by God beyond comprehension. And you are absolutely valuable in the sight of a heavenly father who has called you into eternity to be seated with Jesus, a co-heir to the throne of heaven. That's who you are. You are not your loss. You are not your brokenness. You are not your anger, your frustration. Put whatever in there you want. That's not how he sees you. He desires and you are an overcomer because of his blood and because of the power of the testimony your changed life is undeniable in the hands of a good, loving, supernatural God. Amen? So, Lord, as we worship you, I pray, God, that you would come and meet us in this place. God, I pray this, that as we worship you, that freedom comes. That your anointing, Holy Spirit, comes to break every yoke of bondage, God, today. That chains would be broken, God like we worshiped about at the beginning, that chains would fall away, that fear and doubt and shame and guilt would go in Jesus' name. So Lord, will you breathe freedom upon us as we worship you in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full-service replays, visit our media page on hcfburnett.org and follow us on social media. God bless and have a great week.